Good afternoon. It is such a pleasure and a blessing to be here. It's a pleasure and a blessing to be in the land of the living. Uh, it's been about a year, Adley, I think it's been about a year when I first uh, came up here and preached about the new normal. Um, man, wow. Uh, and the new normal for a lot of us still is new. It ain't even old, man. I <laughs> Do you remember this earlier this week? Um, the the non-Miami natives who were downtown and you know, just, just wilding out. Uh, you know, it, it says a lot about just what we as human beings crave. People, right? We, we need connections with other people. But it also says a lot about the rebellious nature, man. Like, <laughs> we can't stay home for a week, man. Like, it's, it's crazy. And, 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 the, and the interesting thing is it's not even those of us who are living in Miami. That's always the case, right? That's always the case. Anyway, for those of you that are watching online, go ahead and write in the comments, I'm here. Just put in those two words, I'm here. We want to check in with you. We are so happy that you are able to join us this afternoon, this morning, this morning, afternoon, this Sabbath day. How about that? So uh, before we actually dive into the word today is special. It's Global Youth Day. Uh, we've had our uh, midweek week of prayer uh, for uh, with our young adults, our, our youth, uh, for this this week. And from what I understand, it was yeah, it was solid. It was solid. So that's been a blessing. And I'm gonna wait. Ali, go ahead and check and make sure that they're on YouTube, man. Let's go ahead and check. This is, it's a different format, so we, we've got a little bit of time. I've, I've got some time to kind of massage those of us who are, because listen, ain't nobody in the building right now, John. <laughs> so, so, you I'm going to have a word of prayer, and I just want you to uh, take this time to meditate and to really digest what it is that God has for us this afternoon. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. We could have been anywhere else, and for many of us, for most of us, we're at home. We're worshiping in spirit and in truth with family. We thank you for the gift of assembly. Even though it may not be in its fullest capacity right now, we thank you so much that you are able to still give us the capacity to worship. You've given us the awareness that you are here, you are real. You're in our hearts. We love you. Open our minds, God. Open our ears that we may listen. Open our hearts that we may feel and, and we, may, we may resonate with the words that you have for us this afternoon and open our hands to do that which you have called us to do as believers in Jesus Christ. It is in your son's name we do pray. Amen. All right, guys, Lamentations chapter five. Just go ahead and put your thumbs there while we work our way towards this passage. 
There's a young lady by the name of Rosemary, um, and she uh, was a sibling of, of five, uh, so she was the oldest, and uh, she lived in Haiti. Interestingly enough, the family wasn't affluent, but they were middle class, they were well-to-do until the 2010 earthquake hit. And for those of you that already know this, uh, 1.5 million people were not just displaced from homes, but they were homeless. And even now to this day, a decade later, uh, Haiti is still not the same. Uh, 300,000 plus individuals died. So this is Rosemary's backstory. She's the oldest of five and um, She's well-to-do, she, she's disciplined, she's excellent in what she does academically, she's just a, she's a great daughter, right? she does everything that needs to be done for the house, especially now because of the strain, and so there's this pressure to make sure that mom is okay, that the family is okay. Um, she goes to the grocery store every so often, and this one time she was at a convenience store, and there's an old lady who shows up, bumps into her, uh, almost intentionally, as she's leaving, uh, the old lady is entering, but she stops her as the interruption happens, and she turns around and, you know, Rosemary is kind as she is, and she says, oh my, I'm so sorry. The old lady says, that's okay. This was meant to happen. As a matter of fact, I want you to know that there's something special that God has for your life. There's something particular that he would want you, that he wants you to do. You are different. And just know that something's going to happen. Now, this stuck with her. She's, you know, in her mid-teens, and, and so as years progressed, she's always remembered this, this conversation. The reason why it's so important is because even though her mother was supportive, and even though she was amidst her, her, uh, her siblings and even her friends, she never had someone to directly speak into her life like that before. It was almost as if this old woman looked and peered right into her soul as she bumped into her that afternoon and told her about herself and what she was to become. You're going to do something special. So, some time passes by, Adley, and uh, the mom uh, plays, I believe it's called the Borlette. <laughs> plays the lottery, and, and uh, those of you that don't know what the Borlette is, uh, it's typically in uh, these booths. And um, uh, interesting paintings. I don't know if there's usually graffiti on it, but you know, it's, it's interesting, right? And uh, the likelihood that you would win the lotto, win the Borlette, slim to none, just like here in the U.S. Lo and behold, Mama wins the lottery ad. <laughs> she wins the lottery, and, and the mother was, was uh, uh, she, she, had, she wasn't too financially savvy, but she, she knew enough that I want to be able to set some things aside for my kids. And so she splits up the inheritance among the five. Well, this is now what she's calling it, the, inher the inheritance among the five. She doesn't waste it. She doesn't squander it on trying to find a new home. And, but she's like, I want to invest in my kids. So I'm going to go ahead and give them their portion. And she gives... Rosemary, just a little bit more. She's the oldest. She's also the most responsible. So she gives her a little bit more. And this is where Rosemary reflects and remembers. It's recalled to mind the old lady who told her, there's something special that you need to be doing. So Rosemary decides, you know what? I know exactly what I'm going to do with this money. And so opposite of the prodigal son, she does ask for <laughs> the money, but she doesn't squander it. What she decides to do is invest it by moving to the United States of America, specifically to Florida. And she says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pursue higher education. I'm going to build a business. I'm going to make sure that we can break the general cycle, the generational cycle of poverty in my family, which really happened because of the earthquake. But the earthquake just revealed what was going on, right? And so she said, I'm going to break this cycle. And what I'm going to do is every year that I am in business, I will bring one family member over. So that's what she does. She moves to Florida. She goes to school, pursues higher education. You better believe that she is, is uh, top in her class, dean's list, honor roll. Like she's, she's doing the thing, right? She graduates. And she reflects on, well, I have this degree, and, and what am I going to do with it? So she thinks back, and, and even past the old woman, she thinks about what was it that I loved doing when I was a child. And obviously, this is something that she was thinking about throughout her schooling in Haiti and also now in Florida. But she was really thinking and grappling with this thing, and she enjoyed fashion. And so what she did was she took her business degree, and she meshed it with her gift in uh, clothing and, and tapestry and seamstressing. That's not a word, but it will be 
at this very moment, she was a fashionista, and so she decided, I'm going to mesh the two together, and I'm going to start a clothing retail store, and she does. And needless to say, it's starting to grow. She actually was able to bring on some employees, and first year goes by, she's able to bring her youngest. As a matter of fact, she is able to send over, you know, the mom is not tech savvy over there, so she sends over a, an iPhone. Yeah, let's go with an iPhone. So they can FaceTime and, you know, the iMessage, the blue bubbles and whatnot. And, and so she's trying to show her family the experience of what's going on and, and what she's doing and what she's, what's, what's happening over here and wanting to share the, the, the freedom, the liberty, the, the prosperity that she's growing and the excellence that she's achieving. And it's not the same. She wants to bring her family over. And her mom said, listen, I've already lived my life. I want you to bring your youngest, bring your siblings over, and then when you're able to bring me. And so that's, that's the plan. And she starts with the youngest, and she works her way all the way up to the oldest. And so year one passes by, and she brings her youngest brother. Year two passes by, and she brings the second youngest sister. And year three, she brings her middle sibling over. And then year four, she brings her second oldest, the second oldest son and or brother. She brings them over. But as every year passes by, it's getting more and more difficult. I want you guys to hear me out. It's getting more and more difficult because as things are progressing, the businesses around her are starting to close down. As things are progressing, rent starts to increase. As things are progressing, it's becoming more and more challenging to, to, take, to take care of the people that she wants to, to, to move and transition into a better life so that they can live out their dreams, and, and so it's gotten so challenging, and it's unlikely, but it can happen. It got so difficult as she's looking around, her friends are not where they were, her business owners or founders are, are not where they used to be. Everybody's displaced, they're scattered, they're moving farther and farther away from where they were building family, building life, and she's just not sure why is this happening, and she couldn't maintain the lifestyle anymore, and it wasn't a lavish lifestyle. She really just wanted her family to come over and live a better life, and so one by one, she had to send them back to Haiti. And you're probably thinking, Chris, like, it's America. There's resources. But it can't happen. Because the support system, even though she was here for a short time and she was able to build and to grow, the support system wasn't here. It was back home, and so because there was a strong tie to family, she felt more comfortable with them being in a place, and that's tough because it's like she felt like she was going backwards. And, and so, needless to say, her mother said, another time will come. And when it does, I want you to be able to bring us all over, but I understand what's going on right now. She remembered the old woman, guys. She remembered what the old woman said, and she said, but how could this be? How, how, is, this, how is this possible? I, I'm not getting it. I'm not understanding. I thought this was something that I was supposed to do. So she rationalized in her mind that perhaps maybe it is very well the case that my job, my purpose was to just give my family a taste of what can be so that even though I was not able to sustain it, I planted a seed in them so that they could one day do what I chose to do. Sometimes you have to rationalize those things because if it doesn't work out the way that you thought it would work out, you have to say, okay, well, well maybe there's a deeper underlying purpose that I haven't really accepted yet or, or realized yet. And so that, that was hers. Um, what if I were to tell you that I met this lady during an outreach when we typically have our Sabbath school? And there were those of us, and this is even before when I came back, but those of us at our church who would visit the Little Haiti area because that's where her business was. And I met Rosemary, prayed with Rosemary, but I didn't know Rosemary's story. And all I was doing is praying, and we were adamantly just asking God to bless her business because that's what she asked for. I want my business to do better. But we did not know the context of why she wanted her business to prosper. And can you imagine that we've been praying and praying and praying and praying? I mean, this has been happening since, you know, since I've been praying every Sabbath, pre-COVID, amongst the streets. But not realizing that gentrification was going to happen eventually. As much as we were praying, Rosemary's business was going to close regardless. 
begs the question, was God listening? Now, Rosemary isn't real, but what is real is I did actually pray with a lady who was praying about her business. And so even though Rosemary may be a fictitious person, there have been so many people in our community, in the little Haiti community, that have had stories just like that, if not similar. They may not have sent people back, but now the Rosemaries of little Haiti are perhaps living just a few blocks away in the trailer home community. They no longer have the, uh, the establishment that they had before as, as the, the store and the, the outlet that's just not too far away from this church, just a stone's throw away from this church, but perhaps it's now in a tented structure trying to just make do and trying to hustle until they can actually get more meaningful employment. Guys, this is real. How could this happen? How could we pray for such a thing and yet gentrification still occur? Well, I want to submit to you that gentrification is, and we can't get into it a lot today. It's, it's such a complex, nuanced process. But what I will say is this. Just like Rosemary, who has suffered from the, 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 the insidious results of the gentrifying process, there's so many who have experienced this as well. Many of us may not have experienced it because we don't live directly in little Haiti. However, I want to explain to you what gentrification is. Number one, gentrification is not the revitalization of a community. On the outset, it seems that way, right? Because right now, things are looking better. But it is at a severe cost. As buildings are looking cleaner, as, as hmm, Yoga mats and baby strollers are populating the area. As police might start to stroll post-COVID during our socials that we can be a little bit rambunctious, not strolling by and saying, is everything okay? That never used to happen before. Parking meters. As, as all of these things are happening, it would seem as if, well, the community is, is being revitalized. Hmm, that's not fully what gentrification is. Gentrification also is not a natural process of progression. I want y'all to stick with me. We're in Lamentations. It's, it's not something that just naturally happens. What gentrification is, is an intentional strategy to displace low-income families in order to raise the affluent standard of living. What it does is it gives middle to upper-class people more opportunities on where to live and also where to fellowship. You see a Starbucks that pops up in your area and stays you know that something's happening. I also want to submit to you that gentrification is, is a, um, a modern-day siege. And the reason why I say it's a modern-day siege is because we're not going to look at Lamentations chapter 5. As a matter of fact, the entire book of Lamentations is a beautiful work of poetry. It's five chapters long, and each chapter is now describing the desolation of Jerusalem. And so even though outside things are looking great, um, uh, it looks desolate outside to those who used to live in the community. It feels and looks abandoned. So, so even though there are people that are moving in, there are those that have been removed, and they feel out of place. Okay, so there are two kinds. Before we get into, before we get into to, to paralleling gentrification with a modern day siege, as we uh, use the backdrop of lamentations, there are two kinds of gentrification. There is direct displacement. That's the increase of rent. That, that's the simplest way that we're going to break it down today. Where in order to get you out of your place, what you end up doing is you increase the prices so you can no longer pay for the lease. You can no longer pay for housing, and so you have to forcibly move out. That's direct, but the most insidious form of gentrification is indirect or exclusionary displacement, and that's caused by isolation. That's what Rosemary felt. That's when you're in your home. That's when you're in your apartment. That's when you're in your community, but your community is no longer around you. And so now you're faced with a choice. I, I no longer have the people that I used to have around me. I no longer have my support system. And so I can either stay and see as things move, as things transition. I can either stay and still feel out of place. Or the likelihood is what you would end up doing is moving out as well. It, it isolates you from the things that are important. Why is that the case? The definition of a siege is a military operation in which enemy forces surround a town or building, cutting off essential supplies with the aim of compelling to surrender 
of those or the surrender of those who are inside. And that's exactly what happened to the children of Israel. The nation of, of Babylon, the Babylonian nation decided that, okay, we can't attack them full front. So what we're going to do is we're going to build a siege. We're going to cut off everything, the, the water supply, everything around them. We're going to isolate them. And as we isolate them, they're going to starve. We're going to starve them out. And when they're at their weakest point, we'll go in and extract them. Now, this may sound like a harsh comparison, but that don't sound like gentrification to you. Now, obviously, there's some nuances, right? There's real estate, there's property and all of that. So I don't want to make this thing such a, 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 a direct parallel. However, the way that it works is very similar to how it looked in the Old Testament. So take a look at what happened. So in Lamentations chapter 5. I wanted to set the scene for you because you need to see and read and to understand how it looked and felt like back then. And, and when you get a chance, just read the entire chapter. We typically love Lamentations for chapter 3, beginning with verse 21 and onward, where he says, um, after he talks about the, the feeling of desolation, uh, mothers who are choosing uh, without any choice to eat their own kids. Guys, that's how bad it was. Um, um, people are no longer in the streets like they used to be. And, and so in, in chapter 5, uh, he, he then, or in, in the middle of, of Lamentations, chapter 3, we use the, uh, uh, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. It is because of the Lord's mercies, right? And so he starts to shift from the desolation to, to the divine character of God and who he is. And, and so he says, okay, even though it's bleak, God is still a merciful God. That's, that's great. But, but there is still yet another chapter where he then prays for restoration. So in chapter five, he says, remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. Look and think about Rosemary. Look and behold our reproach. Our inheritance has been turned over to aliens. Guys, think about what I just said. Their, their inheritance, their property, the things that they have owned have been turned over to people they don't know. It happened in this community. And our houses to foreigners. That don't sound like it, guys. We have become orphans, waifs. Waifs are individuals who, who are... Um, uh, uh, typically children who are like really thin because of starvation. Uh, we have become orphans and waifs. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Our mothers are like widows. Yeah, did y'all catch? Mothers are like widows. So even though they still might be in relationship, the, the dynamic is so strenuous that it feels as if they have nobody. We pay for the water we drink. Come on now. And our wood comes at a price. This was never the case. They were promised. Okay. Let me take you back to, because as I'm reading this, let me take you back to Joshua chapter 20. Um, give me one second, guys. I want, I want you to see this. Joshua chapter 20, 22, verse 43. Take a look at this. We're going to compare what has happened. So this is when they, when they got into the land. They got into the promised land. Take a look. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their forefathers. This is Joshua 22, 43. And they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man, check this, not a man of their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a sword failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel all came to pass. Y'all catching this? So now we're looking at lamentations where the desolation has now happened. This is poetry based on the, the Babylonian siege and what's going on here. And now what Jeremiah, who's written this book, is saying is in verse 7, uh, verse 6, we have given our hand to the Egyptians and the Assyrians to be satisfied with bread. Total opposite. Our fathers sinned and are no more, but we bear their iniquities. Servants rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is as hot as an oven. Have mercy. Because of the fever of famine. They ravished or wait, raped the women in Zion, the maidens or young women and girls in the cities of Judah as well. Princes were hung up, strung up, lynched by their hands. Elders were not respected. Young men ground at the millstones. Take a look. They're, they're hitting every single age demographic from the women to the young women and girls to the princes to the elders to the young men who are imprisoned, grounding at them, grinding at the millstone to the boys who stagger under loads of wood. The elders have ceased gathering at the gate. 
and the young men from their music. The joy of our heart has ceased. Our dance has turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Verse 17, because of this, our heart is faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. Because of Mount Zion, which is desolate, which foxes, with foxes walking about it. One thing I love about Jeremiah is that even as bleak, even as dark as the, the reality is right now, look at what he does with assessing what is happening. Look at what he does. In verse 19, he says, you, O Lord, remain forever. Your throne and generation to generation. Okay, okay. Why do you forget us forever? Wow. And forsake us for so long a time. Here's the catch. Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days as of old unless you have utterly rejected us and are very angry with us. Can you imagine the condition? The condition here is like, God, restore us, but we don't know if you're so angry with us that you're not going to because you did give us the land. We didn't obey, and now you've stripped it from us. All right, what does that have to do? What does that have to do with, with little Haiti? Because the cause of the siege was due to Israel's rebellion. Um, God didn't make... Uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the rebellion happened, obviously. He's given them free will. Um, but he made, the, re he, he made the, the consequences, the desolation happen because of his anger with his people. Don't get it twisted. Yes, God is a God of love, but as we have read just now in this passage, God was angry. He wasn't just upset. He was angry. If you look at Lamentations chapter 2, oh, oh my, when you get a chance, I, God's anger with, with Jerusalem, 2 verse 6, it says, he has done violence to his tabernacle as if it were a garden. He, he has destroyed his place of assembly. The Lord has caused the appointed feast and Sabbaths to be forgotten in Zion. Now, y'all know, especially as Seventh-day Adventists, for you to read that God has made his Sabbath be forgotten, that's heavy. That is heavy. Why would God do such a thing? Because he was angry. So here's a big question. Is God angry with little Haiti? If gentrification is similar to a modern-day siege, and the siege is what Israel uh, had befallen to them because of their rebellion against God, the question is, has little Haiti been rebellious? Has, has other communities that have suffered gentrification been rebellious? Is God angry with those communities that have suffered these atrocities? It's economic, strategic atrocities. No, not exactly. I think it would be foolish to say that God is angry with this particular community, and that is why. Hey, when the, when the, when the earthquake happened, you know, a lot of people were like that. Yeah, 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 Haiti. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, because they're doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah, God is going to make that happen. <sighs> the ignorance. No, God is, God is not angry directly at little Haiti like that. But let me tell you what he is. God has feelings and emotions. He's disappointed. He's disappointed with those who have the political impact, who have the real estate power and spiritual influence to turn things around. They, they have laws, land, and the Lord, and yet they have done nothing with it. When you look at Lamentations, you begin to realize as you're reading through, start with chapter one, it talks about it's the leaders, it's the priests, the kings. They are the ones that drop the ball. They are the influencers. Okay. How does this all make sense now? So if God isn't Mad at little Haiti. If he's not angry, but yet this process is still happening, why and how and, and who? And he might be disappointed with those of us who have the ability to change things and to turn things around. Then what is his intent? I, I think we have to start there, right? Why would God allow this thing to happen to begin with? Well, with little Haiti, uh, well, with Israel, his intent for, for why he even established them as a nation was for them to be the epicenter of worship. He wanted them to be the beacon of light, the model, the exemplar of a nation where other people who were non-believing would look at them and say, wow, okay, who is that? Who are you serving? Because we want some of that. So the first thing, God's intent was for him to be made known. And a lot of known was made through wealth and prosperity and the ability to not be touched by other enemies because something is special about them. The next thing that God wanted to do was to draw the people, those heathen nations, the unbelieving nations around, draw them to him through worship. Lastly, he wanted to save the world. And so for little Haiti, he, he wanted them to draw people here, but, but also to save the community. I want you to see this parallel because he wanted to use not just Israel, but Little Haiti, other communities as a model, community exemplified through the people and the leaders who are in charge of his people. So here's the question. If that's what God wants, and if that's what we're missing, 
And if, if our, our communities are continuing to change and, and to be in strategically displaced, our minorities are continuing to be removed. And, and even today, as, as we're going out to do outreach, it's, it's getting more and more difficult to try to do outreach in the vicinity because the vicinity is changing. So what do we do? First thing that you need to do is found in chapter five, guys, and this is why we use chapter five. The first thing that you need to do is to accept and to take ownership of our mistakes. We need to look at God and say, God, we dropped the ball. God, we have to do better. God, we, we will do better, but we can't do better by ourselves. So the next thing that you have to do is pray for restoration. That's chapter five of Lamentations. You got to be aware of it. You got to ask. You got to pray. You got to seek. Ask God for restoration. Here's where it gets heavy, guys. You got to go where the people are and you got to give them a vision. We typically don't do this, but when you change, the, when you just turn over to the very next page, you see Ezekiel. Now, remember, Lamentations, there were no vision. There, there, was, no, there was no hope. And so in, in Ezekiel, chapter 1, look at this. This is amazing. So after Jeremiah comes Ezekiel, chronologically. So you're, it's fair to do it in this case where you just turn over, and then you can read the next book. Oftentimes, you really can't do that, but it works here. And so as we look, there was no vision in Lamentations. But take a look at now the Ezekiel. He's, he's on the scene. He's not in Jerusalem. He's in Babylon, and it says, now it came chapter 1 verse 1 now it came to pass in the 13th year in the fourth month of the fifth day of the month I was among the captives by the river Kabar that's in Babylon that uh, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God talk about hope but here's the thing guys God didn't show visions to Jeremiah in Jerusalem he showed visions to Ezekiel in Babylon we gotta go where the people are Long gone are the days where we, especially now in, in the season that we're in, in COVID, where we are striving to, to draw people into a physical build. It doesn't, God didn't even do that in the Old Testament. At least not yet. He fully manifested to himself, to people of God in a foreign country. And we'd be doing ourselves a disservice. And this is come, I love how, how, we, how we do our outreach service because we'd be doing ourselves a disservice if for those of us, if you're watching online, you're still struggling and striving to get people to a church that's still closed. God didn't even do that. He went to where the people were and he gave them something to hold on to. It's not just enough to go out and just to give them something, piece of literature that they can't even read because the majority of people in the United States have a sixth grade reading level. You got to give them a vision, something that they can sink their teeth into with hope to know that there's better that's coming. And that's what God did in Ezekiel. He may not have answered Jeremiah's prayer immediately, but he answered it through Ezekiel. And so what's the next thing that you need to do? The next thing that you need to do, and let's get more practical. I'm going to wrap this thing up because we about to go out and do ministry. Change your methods to save people. Dramatically change your methods to save people. The Old Testament model was for Israel to be the epicenter and everybody to be drawn towards Israel. Because of their rebellion, because of their choice, they had to transition. And what God ended up doing was he used the New Testament model where after Jesus came and died, everything was, uh, for, for all intents and purposes, democratized. There was no longer a central place for everybody to come and worship. It was now distributed among homes, distributed among communities. Guys, we're still using the old model. We're still forcing and trying to get people to, to come into a physical location. Well, that's not how God did it. When the spirit of the Lord hit and Pentecost happened and the numbers grew daily, read it. Acts chapter 2, they were in the homes, Bible study, fellowshipping. Listen, listen here. Let me tell you all something. If we start doing this properly, I can guarantee that communion won't just happen once a quarter, four times a year. You will be able to liberally participate in that which God has asked us to participate in because as often as you eat and drink... You do this in remembrance of me. So a lot of us, we only remembering God four times out of the... Okay, so I'm going to keep moving because here's where I want us to get practical here. How do you change your methods to save people uh, dramatically just like God did? Here's what you do. The first thing is real-life application from greatest to least amount of sacrifice. Here's the greatest amount of sacrifice. I've said this years before, and I'll say it again. Move closer to little Haiti and make a difference. No, let's be real. Like, if, if, this is, if this is what we're talking about, if we are here in this community right now, if you want people to resonate with you as a leader, if you want people to resonate with you, there are 20 churches. Somebody Google it right now. There are 20 churches. If you go on Google Map right now, in Little Haiti. 
not including tabernacle. And you mean to tell me, oh man, this almost, you mean to tell me that of all the churches, we didn't have anybody in real estate, anybody in development, anybody with some sort of political power to prevent what was happening outside right now? That's a problem. And my issue is this. Let me say, oh, he's irate. Listen, I, I still live in Miami Garden. I don't even live down here. I put myself, I, let's be real though, right? Greatest sacrifice is you need to move here and make a difference. How? Why? I don't understand why that makes so much sense. I don't well, he did it for us. Sent his only begotten son down here. He shifted, took off the robe of kingship and deity to come down here. He moved geolocationally to make a difference. He didn't stay up in the heavens and try, and he could have done it if he wanted to. He's God. He could do it the way he wanted to do it. He said, I'm going to do it in the most unmistakable, recklessly abandoned way so that they know that I truly love them. I'm going to become just like them. Move here. No, no, move here. We said, well, that, but that's not, that's not practical because, you know, because of, you know, uh, uh, property and, you know, well, the place is being gentrified. You, you, you're absolutely right. It is being gentrified right now, and it's probably more difficult to move here. So here's the next thing that you can do. Volunteer at Tabernacle's community outreach team. Okay, so you can't move, but you can make moves. The Albert C. Pierre Community Service Center, like, it's all here. I'm just giving you options. We got options, y'all. We got options. So if you can't move, then make moves. Start volunteering more. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to myself as well. Well, I can't really make it down here. You're right, because it's still too far to live here, right? It's still too far to travel here, right? All right, well, then how about you just give your money then? Sacrifices. Go ahead and give your money. Hey, as a matter of fact, if y'all were able to just go ahead and pull up, <laughs> put, put up the, the smile.amazon.com. Like, you know, just go ahead. Let's be practical out here, right? Like, there are ways that you can actually give. And if it's not here to Tabernacle, then you can give to a local organization. But there are ways that you are able to, to help make an impact, even if you aren't physically able to be present. Here's another one. Change your membership and commit to making impact in your residential community. Well, you ain't doing nothing here anyway. No, let's be real. We doctored, not even doctored, the books are inflated with membership. Transfer that boy and move down to where you at. But that still requires you to do work. We got options. And I'm, I'm going from greatest to least sacrifice. That ain't number none, but just picking up the guy. Hey, listen. And the next Sabbath, well, if we have the first reading of transfer. Like, you don't got to do nothing but pick up the phone. Truth be told, you're probably considering doing that anyway after COVID is over. Let's be practical here. All right, here's, here's the last one. Here's the last one. Um, from greatest to least sacrifice, uh, build a community online. Oh, that's the easiest one. How about you stop posting memes and open up a Facebook group, open up a YouTube channel, and start spreading love? I ain't going to call no names, but there's a love guru out, out this week, bro. <laughs> love guru out this week. Everybody has something to say about that dude. I, oh man, I, I can see, I smelled that from a mile away. And not only that, but then they started to berate his wife. My goodness. Can you imagine if we started to just repost and share messages of, of not, not, uh, uh, of scandal? But positivity? It's not easy though, because the positive stuff don't last, right? I mean, that's how the news is designed that way. They come out the gate talking about uh, so-and-so was, uh, was murdered. It's, it's like, oh, my goodness. Like, this is 6 o'clock. We already talking about death? So we're primed. We're conditioned for that. What I'm trying to tell you is you can build something online right now. Now, does that negate doing some of the other things? No. But I'm also telling you some of the things that I've already done. So I'm also speaking for myself. I've also been challenged to do these things building a community online, helping out more financially to the local church, the church that you have invested in, like that's the church that you give to. We've got options, y'all. Okay, so here's the summary. Number one, God, God can and he will restore. That's beautiful. You look from Lamentations to Ezekiel, God shows up. Doesn't show up where he wanted them to show up, but he shows up. That's awesome. 
God can and he will restore. Number two, show up where God shows up. And where God shows up is where the people are. Three, gentrification shouldn't prevent the gospel, but it will change how you do ministry. Don't let the excuse be, oh, well, you know, they don't look like us, and I don't know if they're going to resonate with anything. Well, people with yoga mats need the gospel, too. Give them a piece of literature with the kale smoothie in their hand. All right, let's go to the next one. Before, before you consider saving the block, make sure that your relationship with God is secure. This will be all for naught if you decided to save a whole community, but your soul isn't saved. So this is the appeal, guys. This is number one. Those of you who want to give your life to Christ, you're like, you know what? I may not be ready for doing all of the stuff that you talked about, Elder Bartley, but what I am ready for is to give my life to Christ. I want you to go ahead, um, as they put it up on the screen, where you can actually uh, connect with our church, our local church, or even if it's a church in, in your area, but there are options that you have to connect. The other thing that you want to do, for those of us who, who want to give time and energy here to Little Haiti, I'm also going to be praying on your behalf for that as well. There are those of you who want to just make a difference, but you're not sure how. And here's the last category. There are those who need to have the desire to do God's work. You're not really there yet. This didn't even resonate with you. Anyway, what I will say is that if you're in any of those categories, we're going to pray at this very moment so that God may touch our hearts so that we can make an impact, not just here where we are, but where you might be as you're listening and as you're watching online. Father God, we thank you so much because you have given us so many ways to give back, to reflect your character of goodness, patience, loving kindness, your, your long suffering. You have given us your son. And your son has commissioned us to do the same, to give of ourselves. Father, for those of us on Global Youth Day that are going out, that are connecting with other communities, connecting with our community. We're asking that you may put a special over those of us, that you may also allow your Holy Spirit not to reside just in the area, in our hearts, God, as we are touching and agreeing, even as it is from a distance, God, that they may still feel your power. We may not be able to lay hands, but we can definitely lay hold of their soul as we grapple in prayer and perhaps in conversation meeting the needs, making them aware that there is a God who loves them, there is a God who can restore. For those of us who don't have a desire, God, please let this be a seed that's planted to have a desire, to have a desire, so that eventually we may do the same, whether if it's online, whether if it's in person, whether if it's in our very homes, we're asking that you will move us as we move our community back to you in Jesus' name. Amen.